Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. Hello, everyone. It is Monday, August 30th, 2021, and my name is Mark Sly. I have the blessing of serving as the Vice President of International Ministries here at Lifeline Children's Services, and the joy of spending some time with you today, walking through God's Word as we continue our study in the Book of Romans. So I invite you to open a copy of God's Word and turn to Romans chapter 5, and we will jump in right at verse 1. Again, that's Romans chapter 5. We'll begin in verse 1, and we're going to make our way through to verse 11 today. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. You know, when I was younger and I would get sick uh, on a school day, I may have to stay home and I can remember spending some time on the, the couch and I would watch TV. And back in the day, uh, we would watch programs like The Price is Right or Let's Make a Deal. And I remember The Price is Right as being just this unbelievably crazy show where individuals would go berserk to be a part of the show to be invited down as contestants or possibly even uh, be winners of certain prizes or prize packages. And what was amazing to me is throughout that entire show, every episode, every single day, they would have these prize packages that were just seemingly bigger than life. And I can remember the other host and other than Bob Barker, and he would say things like, oh, and there's more. And over and over and over again, you would watch these prizes come up as being available to win. They'd perhaps maybe guess the cost of a prize or they play a game like Plinko or a number of other things that maybe you can reminisce with me. But I just remember all of those things being bigger than life and more than I can imagine actually winning myself. This passage reminds me a lot of that game show. It's as if in the middle of a lot of bleak terminology that Paul uses with regard to our sinfulness, he realizes the weightiness of that and the desperation that that would lead us to if it were not for the gospel. And then all of a sudden in chapter five, we come to this realization 
that one thing after another, God intends to bless us with through the gospel. That show was crazy. But what I loved about it at each stage, a contestant would go on to win more and more prizes. At the end, there was always that statement, oh, and also there's a new car that they could possibly win. And and when I look at this passage, I see so many parallels that are so much greater and grander than anything from a game show. And I think we begin to get a glimpse of that actually in the very concluding verses of Romans chapter four. Look with me in verse 22 when Paul says, that is why his, meaning Abraham's faith, was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone. But for ours also, Paul is speaking to the believer that counted to him as righteousness applies to you and I if we have a relationship with Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Like really, we get to be in on this. Think about that. Not just like on the lot, not just in the cheap seats, not even a contestant in the show. This passage says that we get everything, that we are counted as righteous. Ephesians 1 verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in every way and with every spiritual blessing through Christ in the heavenly places. So what have we been blessed for specifically? Well, we see in this passage right away, the first thing that we saw was righteousness, that being in right relationship with God. And that word specifically connotes this fulfilling of the expectations of a given relationship. It speaks to the nature of the person themselves. God declaring the fiber and core of the character of the person as qualified to be in relationship with him. I'm reminded of the covenant relationship between God and Adam, God and Abraham, God and his people. We look back and at every established point, at every moment of renewal, the relational expectations weren't just unmet. They were obliterated by those that God had been in covenant with. They were obliterated by yourself. They're obliterated by myself. And think about our nature, our bent towards evil. My affections, our affections towards our creator, our passions and our desires, our decisions, we violate the terms of any relationship, much less that with a holy God. And yet Paul right here says that through the raised life of Jesus Christ, that relationship is restored. And not only that relational aspect, but also the legal aspect. Look at that second piece of what Paul is telling us there in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, Paul is using the verbal bridge between chapter 4, verse 24, and chapter 5, verse 1. But it's so much more than just a verbal tool. It's a beautiful declaration. It's a declarative statement from the judge of the universe. Remember that Psalm 50, verse 6 says, and the heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. Isaiah 3, 13 reminds us that the Lord arises to contend and stands to judge the people. What a good reminder that God is not disconnected and he is not unaware of what is going on in our world today or in your life. 
but rather he arises to contend and stand and judge the people when justice is not present. He is a good, faithful, and holy judge. Isaiah 33, 22 says, for the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. And then in the New Testament, 1 Peter 4, 5 says, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. This creator and judge of the universe who is right to declare all of us guilty and condemn us all to hell. He declares us righteous personally. But then here he declares to the world a verdict that you and that I and that we are legally innocent. In our world, it is one thing to forgive someone privately, but we don't risk usually aligning ourselves with someone who would cost us to be associated with or who would cost us if we were personally connected to them. But in the presence of all creation and history, God shouts to the ends of the earth that you are his, you are justified. Take that, cancel culture. Our God declares us righteous and justified, and therefore we have what? We have peace. Paul continues, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace we stand. Now, brothers and sisters, I know that this is not a $5 theology term, but it is no less rich. As followers of Jesus, we have peace with God. If you've ever felt the guilt of your sinful actions, if you've ever felt the inadequacy of your flaws, if you've ever felt the frustration of the ongoing battle to fight the nature within your flesh, peace is that reality that allows you to finally and fully exhale. It's the thing that no matter what the indulgence you could buy, no matter the acts of penance, that might purchase forgiveness, no matter the completion of attendance of relationship, none of these things could accomplish the peace that is provided through this righteousness and justified that is imputed to us through Jesus Christ. You could drop the mic at that point. We have peace. There is no other religion. There is no other effort that we could extend that could possibly grant us peace with God. But here, Paul, God, the Holy Spirit tells us that we have peace. And be reminded that this doesn't always guarantee that we will feel at peace or that you will always engage in this life peacefully. But it means that God will always act toward you in your relationship with him, with peace as the foundation. There's no pretense. There's no getting even. There's no backbiting. There's no grudge. There's no double meaning. There is simply peace. And if you've ever experienced a close relationship where this was not the case, where you couldn't trust the person, where you had reason to question their motives, or you always had to look over your shoulder, this term brings with it an unbelievable comfort. And when we realize that that peace for what it is, we begin to see the next thing in this passage that God blesses us with. Paul says, through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Now, that is grace, that peace, that righteousness, that justice, that is certainly 
unbelievably. God's riches at Christ's expense. Goodness given yet undeserved. But it isn't just the goodness that we would expect. It is good even out of the difficult that we may face day in and day out. So as believers, it makes sense that Paul would follow up and say, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Right here, take a moment and right now, think of the return and worship of our God for all of eternity. God receiving all the thanksgiving and praise that is due him for all that he has done for us, for all that he is. We rejoice looking forward to that day for that hope of the glory of God when he arrives and we are able to see him face to face, but we're not done yet. As they would say in a game show, there's still more. And as you'll see, this is where Paul does take things in an interesting and amazing direction. It's one thing to take the things that we wished we would change about ourselves and redeem them. But it's another to say that God will take the most difficult things we will encounter and redeem them to the point of our praise and rejoicing in them. But that's exactly the kind of grace that God provides through Jesus Christ. That's why Paul writes, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Why? Because not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Okay, Mark. We're here with you all the way up until this point. Of course, we're going to praise God for the imputed righteousness and justification for the peace and the grace, but the suffering, like how do we praise God for our suffering? And I realize that this may sound counterintuitive, but let's think about it for just a second. We rejoice in suffering because it produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Let's just pause there for a moment. Paul is telling believers, he's telling you, he's telling me, if we have a relationship with Jesus Christ by surrendering our life to him and putting our full trust in him as Lord and Savior, asking him to forgive us for all of our sins, that the difficult and most painful external circumstances that we will ever face, that God will lead to them becoming the most significant examples of proven character. In other words, it's the plan of our God to include us in the lineage of those he listed in Hebrews chapter 11, that we would be people who, as the writer of Hebrews puts it in chapter 10, verse 38, we're people who do not shrink back and are destroyed, but we are people who have faith and preserve our souls. So in other words, God isn't just simply declaring things about us, but God is working things in us. Like this hope that we can rejoice in suffering means that we understand that our suffering is going to lead to us being shaped better into the image of his son and obtaining the character that he blessed us with. So as I think of our brothers and sisters who have been serving as missionaries in Afghanistan and elsewhere right now in the world, this seems completely broken and in need of God's intervention. When I think about dear friends and family walking through incredibly difficult circumstances like cancer or COVID, I cling to this truth and I pray for the strengthening of their faith. God, we trust you to work these circumstances to their good, shaping them into the image and the character of your son. And we rejoice knowing that you will be faithful to complete that work in them and in us. Philippians 1.6, Paul says, 
for we are confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it at the day of Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, that is a promise, that is a hope, that is a joy, and we rejoice in the fact that God has promised those things and is working those things for not just our good, but his glory. And if you are on this call and you've listened to everything up to this point, and you've walked through what you felt was a valley of the shadow of death, and you clung to your faith in the midst of it in the past, don't you find that you can look back and rejoice in those times even now? So if you've ever walked through a difficult circumstance, you've seen God's faithfulness in bringing you through it. Does that not stir up in your heart and your affections a joy and a rejoicing and a praise for your heavenly father? Do you not remember his faithfulness as you faced the trials of yesterday and today? Don't we rejoice because of his goodness that has come before so that we can rejoice even today in the difficult circumstances that we may face? And it's not simply because the issue was resolved the way that we had anticipated. No, the great rejoicing, the great aspect of our praise comes in light of the faith and character that it produced in us that nothing and no one can take away. So we rejoice in hope because of suffering, knowing that when suffering is met with faith, it produces the work of God in us. And that inward result can be erased, cannot be erased by COVID. It can't be erased by cancer. It can't even be erased by death. No, if God can change the person I am into more the image of his son and reflecting of his character, then I hope and know that he is able to fulfill all of his promises. See, our circumstances, they can ebb and flow, but the work that he does within us, no one can undo and no one can, can take away. It is that indwelling promise and reassurance that the Holy Spirit blesses us with and spurs our praise of our Heavenly Father. So now we've got to move a little bit faster, but let's pick up here in verse six. Paul goes on to say, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. So in case we thought that we somehow began to think we were deserving of all of these incredible blessings, Paul reminds us right here, he almost pauses in this listing of all these things that are ours in Christ. He pauses to again remind us that all of these beautiful results of the gospel applied to our lives are because of God's goodness, not ours. Because God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then Paul extends this hope he spoke of in the preceding verses to the future security we have as well. In verse 9, he says, since then, therefore, we have no, now been justified by his blood. How much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, how much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life? So in the midst of the difficult circumstance, may our faith be strengthened by the work that God is doing in us, but also may our faith be strengthened by the future that he has secured for us. And it's not simply because it's a promise from a God who's disconnected. No, this is a promise 
And this is a security that's granted to us by a priest and a king and a father and a God and a creator who has set this in stone for us. In no way is it in question. We read in Hebrews 6, 17 through 20. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong engagement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. It is a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Think about that. This promise is secure because God cannot lie. This promise is secure because Jesus stands on our behalf as the high priest forever, making constant reminder of the sacrifice that once and for all, as Hebrews 10, 10 would put it, this payment for sin has been made on our behalf. Our eternity is secure and it is worth rejoicing. So as our faith is secure, our hope is secure and our rejoicing is well placed, leading us to this final word of encouragement that we find in verse 11. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. You'll recall that we began with a look at God declaring us righteous, making it possible for us to even have a relationship with a perfect and holy God. We read that believers are legally justified as a result of God's work in our lives, following our faith and trust in him as Lord and Savior. No longer are we under the condemnation of sin, deserving the wrath of God. We are now therefore at peace with God. We are receivers of grace that is undeserved, character beyond our making, and hope that is eternal. And now, as if that wasn't enough, Paul writes that we are reconciled, not merely to be spared of God's wrath or tolerated by an offended creator, but invited back into the intimacy as if we were never estranged at all. Some of us have felt the sting of this in an earthly fashion. A friendship lost. A relative estranged. A brother, a sister, a father, maybe even a son or a daughter or a mother, not merely separated by distance, but perhaps by deep offense, by anger, malice, enmity. In many of those cases, we could probably even point to ourselves as contributors to some of the division. And yet God, completely innocent, pure, and holy in the relational equation that he has with humanity, in his goodness, he doesn't merely invite us back into relationship with him, but he provides the means for it. And it costs him everything. Brothers and sisters, the question we now face today is whether or not this incredible reality is reflected in our rejoicing. Whether we hear these truths as an anthem that we sing and shout, or we become all too familiar with, and then we become indifferent to. But let me, let me ask you, let me implore you, 
Let us rejoice today, this week, always, for we have been declared righteous. We are justified. We are reconciled. We are receivers of grace, standing in peace with our maker for all time. And God, may we be a people who rejoice more than a game show contestant who walk away with a scooter or even a new car. Because God, you have won it all and then you gave it all to us. We are so incredibly blessed. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study. Music